In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. When do I use physical force in my life? How do we navigate around some of these hard passages in Scripture? It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is for you to become your best by calling you in to the arena of manhood, calling you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and calling you up to your absolute best version of you. Because when you get it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast, Equipping Men in Ten. I'm Jim Ramis, and I'm here with our producer and co-host, my good friend Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm good, Jim Ramis. <laughs> What's that about? Oh, I was called Jim Ramos in high school, or Jimmy. Jimmy. But now I go by Ramos, so it makes it easier to spell. Yeah. So, hey, do you have a man law for me today? I do. Hey, if you guys, if you've been given the opportunity to voice your uh, opinions and to make change, you need to do that and not sit by silently. And so without trying to make a rule saying you need to vote, I guess that's what I'm saying, when you got an opportunity to voice that, uh, to make change, you need to do it. Um, and it's it's frustrating when you see men sitting on the sidelines and they can do something to change things and they don't, and then the world goes to pot. It's really frustrating. Yeah, in Oregon, that's literal. Hey, you know, silence <laughs> is anonymity, and anonymity is passivity. Mm-hmm. And passivity is a sin. So, you know, when we have an opportunity to use our voice and we don't do that, then we really need to check ourselves as men, right? Right. And so I, I think that's really good, man. Hey, I want to talk about something that has really been on my heart. It, it, it can be semi-controversial in the church, but I think as men, we really need to answer the question, when do I use physical force to my life, in my life. In other words, there are historically in the church there are four views of violence in Christianity, and how do we, as people live in living in this New Testament era, how do we navigate around some of these hard passages in Scripture? What is our stance on physical force? In other words, how do we balance the tension between the Old Testament law, which said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right, versus the New Testament? Uh, uh, quote or uh, comment from Jesus to turn the other cheek. So on one end, we have the soft side of of, of violence, which would be uh, Jesus saying, turn the other cheek. He also said, you know, I've come to divide. He also said, go buy a sword. But in this one verse, it's the only time in the Bible we read this, turn the other cheek. 
and the Old Testament, we see eye for an eye. We have to balance this theologically, right? We can't lean 100% into the New Testament with it by through neglecting the Old Testament. We have to look at the Bible and its hermeneutics. Or we need hermeneutics, or the we need to take an exegesis of Scripture. We need to look at all of the Bible and determine our theology of violence, uh, if you will. Now. You know, Jesus, this Matthew uh, 538 passage says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, my friend Paul Coughlin in his book, Free Us From Bullying, says that this was written to adults, not children. So for us to tell our children just to take it is, is violating everything that really is holy about children. However, how do we deal with with how do we deal with this as adults? Edmund Burke said, "The only thing for evil to triumph is when good men do nothing." And so, as followers of Jesus, we have seen diverse views views towards violence held. There are actually four views towards violence, and my job is not to, or my desire is not to uh, force you into one pathway, but I want you to really think about this. What is your pathway? Because we have all sorts of different guys listen to this. So the four views of violence in Christianity are one, non-resistance, two, Christian pacifism, three, just war theory, and four, crusade or holy war. So the early church and the Roman emperor empire adopted the non-violent stance when it came to war, since imitating Jesus' sacrificial life was preferable. So the concept of just war, whereby limited uses of war were considered acceptable, originated with earlier non-Christian Roman and Greek thinkers such as Cicero and Plato. This theory was adopted later by Christian thinkers such as St. Augustine, who, like other Christians, borrowed much of the justification from Roman writers like Cicero and Roman law. Cicero, sorry. Even through just war, even though just war this concept was widely accepted early on. Warfare was not regarded as a virtuous activity, and expressing concern for the salvation of those who killed enemies in battle was 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 brought up. This concept of holy war uh, was all about fighting and attacking those who believe different, just in case they may come at you. This is where we learned of we had the Crusades and uh, uh, and and this type of thing in the 11th century A.D. And so. We have these four views. So by non-resistance, I'm saying like Martin Martin Luther King Jr. really was an advocate of uh, non-resistance, okay? Where Christian passivity says this, uh, I'm not going to support the military. I'm not gonna, going to uh, be in the military. Uh, I am not going to, uh, and I'm, I'm generalizing here. Uh, if, if somebody breaks in my house and rapes my wife, I'm not going to physically engage. I'm going to pray. That's passive, That's passivism. Non-resistance, I don't know what they would do with that rape scenario, but non-resistance says, I am taking a stance of no war and no fighting, although I may support the military, I will not actually go to war, and I choose the path of non-resistance. Just war theory basically says, if you come at me, I will defend myself. So these are the kind of the four views, and I hope I've unpacked them clearly to you. Uh, but they all come down to how do we interact with justice and how do we deal with these just causes. Timothy Keller writes, Justice is care for the vulnerable. Justice reflects the character of God. Justice is right relationships, and justice includes generosity. Now, here's the, here's the thing I need to work through here. When we look at the entire Bible, I'm using the New American Standard Version, the word love in the Bible is mentioned 484 times. How many times do you think the word destroy is mentioned, Dale? 
Oh my goodness. That's uh, a harsh word, destroy. Yeah. There, so it's, it's like love and hate, but destroy is even worse than hate. I know it's in there quite a bit. Good guess, Dale. It's quite a bit. 434 times. Okay. And the word kill is mentioned 301 times. So when we look at destroy versus love, they are diametrically opposed to one another. But we have to notice the hermeneutical significance here when these verbs are these are very involved, and, and violence is very much a part of the Old Testament. So as men who follow Jesus, we must look at the entirety of Scripture in its context to determine our theology, theology of God and the philosophical stances on potentially divisive issues like this. So here we go. How do we defend the weak and powerless? To me, it comes down to that, right? It, it, my, my personal stance is if I'm attacked for my faith, I will turn the other cheek. I will take it. If you come at me to persecute me as a follower of Jesus, it will be an honor to take the pain. In fact, I look forward to that day. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, for the godly in Christ will be persecuted. However, if you come at somebody that is weaker than me, or if you come at me for no reason but to 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 uh, implement your physical force or violence on me, or if you come at me to violate me or take something from me, I will not stand by passively. I will react. I will respond. I will protect myself. And in protecting myself, you will probably experience great pain. Can you destroy them with love? Kill them with kindness, baby. <laughs> so so, so Coughlin writes this. He said, though, though God hates bullying, most Christians do not. That's a sad state of the church. He said, we must transform passive witnesses into courageous protectors. He goes on to say, bullies eat through the niceness doctrine like termites through wood. Instead, they respond to power greater than their own. And so if you come at me, I will come at you. So how do we respond when we see somebody being violated? How do we respond to, uh, the, the, to uh, young girls being sexually abused? How do we respond to when we see that man at a, a, a baseball game beating his child, not spanking, beating? How do we respond to that, that neighbor down the street when we see that, that she is uh, throwing a pan at her husband and beating her husband as he sits by eyelids, he doesn't want to hurt her? How do we respond when people who are stronger violate those who are weaker? This is the question. So what do you think about that, Dale? Dude, I was thinking about our interview with Scott Stoutenberg. He no longer is doing landscaping, and he is all in with Destiny Rescue, okay. saving girls. So, so he's doing something. So I what can't is the, stand anymore. Yep, yep. So what is the Christian stance in your viewpoint of defending the weak? Do something. you got to figure out what it is to def- and how to defend them and do it. Yeah, I would agree 100%. Foster we parents, have something. to do something mm-hmm. to defend the weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your church, maybe it's the divorce rate. Maybe you ad- maybe you reach out and take a kid whose dad has left the house and you adopt that ki- or you you adopt that kid in a in a figurative sense as mm-hmm. a son or a or, or, teach or, marriage classes. Or you, yeah, teach marriage class or or work in the youth department. To to me defending the weak and powerless does not mean mm-hmm. necessarily violence. Mm-hmm. It does, however, mean doing something. Proactive. Yes. And I would say in America, it's not very often we have to interact physically and use force to defend the weak. Although if that time happens, we need to be ready for that time. Mm-hmm. So I, I would probably lean personally more on a just war theory 
uh, more than uh, non-resistance or passivity. I would lean more personally on if if you come at us, we're going to have to respond in kind. We're going to have to respond to defend and protect. Now, I do agree, war is not a virtuous thing. Warriors wouldn't even say that. I mean, those soldiers that go to war, that's very traumatic. They're doing that because they're honorable, brave, and courageous men trying to defend a country they love. So it is it is really tough. But but I would say I, as an American, stand behind those guys and say we are a country at war, we are a country united, and we will stand behind those guys that we have sent over to protect and defend us who are the weak and powerless. Right. So that's my view, guys. I just wanted to address that, and I know we all have, all have our own stances, and some of you may disagree, and that's totally fine with us. Uh, you are free to do so, and people have been talking about that for many, many years. But I think every man in the arena who listens to this podcast would agree with this. When we see somebody being violated, it is our moral obligation as men who follow Jesus to do something. something. Guys, you've been listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. We have some amazing resources to help you on your journey to become your best version. And if you haven't done so already, guys, download our Men in the Arena app. It's free. Join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men and get involved in our weekly equipping blast that happens through email. When you go and give us your email, we'll shoot you a an electronic copy of the field guide, which is my 365-day bathroom book for men. Guys, until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Defend the weak and powerless. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. In our passion to help all arena men, we're offering an excellent free resource when you visit our homepage at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of Jim's book for men called The Field Guide, a bathroom book for men. It's a daily study of manly words in the Bible explained with great stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, thank you for joining men in the arena from around the world who are becoming their best version. And remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.